Hi, this is Stuart Weems, and thanks for listening to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy-to-understand strategies, insights, and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. In this episode, I'd like to talk about three strategies to fund school fees. Now, that could be private school fees. Obviously, it could be Catholic uh, school fees, which tend to be a little bit lower than uh, traditional private schools, or um, extracurricular costs if your child is going to a public school. Um, and you expect uh, some costs associated with that. So it's really educational costs, if you like. Um, And I read with interest over the weekend the average increase in uh, Victorian private school fees last year was 3.6%, but I know the longer-term trend in terms of increases is closer to 5%, obviously with uh, wage inflation and uh, CPI pretty low at the moment, obviously, Private schools have a bit of pressure there, so that's probably what was a little bit lower than trend uh, last year. So, you know, there's two um, things to consider with respect to that. Uh, you know, if you had a child today, uh, for example, they're going to start uh, start primary school and then secondary school in the years to come. Uh, we've got to uh, recognise two things. The first thing is that it's not going to cost what it's going to cost today. You know, the cost will be a lot higher because uh, school fees tend to increase at a higher rate than inflation. And secondly, uh, we've got to pay those costs from after-tax dollars. Uh, so that's, um, you know, that, that's, that's considerable. Uh, so um, uh, if a private school education, uh, for example, in year seven, so if I had a, a son that's studying year seven uh, this year uh, and it was going to cost, say, $28,000, um, that if that's what the cost is today in today's dollars right now, uh, if I had a, a son that's born this year and they're going to start uh, school in probably nine years' time or ten years' time, whatever it is, or sorry, 12 years' time, I should say, uh, the actual cost in today's dollars of, of what it will cost at that time is close to forty grand or over $40,000. So really, we might sit here today and think, oh, look, it's twenty eight grand, it's a lot of money. But really, in our future planning, we've got to realise that in the future, that's actually going to cost uh, $40,000 because of the way these, uh, these fees increase. And really, I need to be earning $70,000 pre-tax in order to meet that expense. So uh, private school education, really any educational costs are expensive, are expensive because they're paid from post-tax dollars uh, and the costs of uh, education tends to increase a lot faster than CPI. Uh, So what I want to do is share with you three strategies you might consider uh, implementing as soon as possible, even possibly before you even start a family, uh, to ease that, that burden of that cash flow burden of um, significant education costs. Uh, before I get to the strategies, um, steer my general advice is steer clear of educational funds. So ASG is a business. Um, I think it stands for Australian Scholarship Group, um, which which sounds uh, like a benevolent organisation, but they are a business. Uh, anyway, ASG is probably the biggest uh, educational fund provider, and essentially what they do is they sell you a product where you need to contribute a certain amount each month, they will then go and invest those monies. And uh, the projections suggest that, you know, that'll help you uh, fund educational costs at, uh, in the future. Uh, the only problem with, uh, or the big problem with ASG is their returns are terrible, investment returns are terrible, and the fees are high. 
Uh, so it sounds like a good product on the face of it, but really when you pull it apart, it's pretty ordinary. And um, it, one of the three strategies that I'm about to talk about will probably be uh, significantly better for you to do. So steer clear of educational funds. Uh, the first strategy is really just parking money in your home loan. Uh, and the reason I say home loan is obviously the interest rate you pay in respect to your home loan. And I'm, when I say home loan, it's, it's a non-deductible uh, loan to, to fund the purchase of your home, so non-deductible debt. Um, and the reason why parking money in your home loan is good is because the interest rate that you pay in respect to your home loan, maybe it's around about 4% today, give or take, uh, is always going to be a lot higher than deposit rates. And deposit rates are sort of circa 2 2.5% uh, at best. Uh, so you've got a, um, a at least a probably 1.5% to 2% differential there in terms of interest rate, and you're much better off then to park that extra savings. So what I'm suggesting is, for example, if you had a child born today and they were going to start secondary school in 12 years' time, that if you put, I worked out, if you put $1,200 per month of extra repayments into your home loan and you did that really for the next 18 years, but in 12 years' time start redrawing the cost uh, of, of school fees, you know, so, so you park that extra savings in your home loan and then in uh, 12 years' time when your child starts secondary school, you take the money out, um, uh, that that's the best way to, to achieve that. So it would cost you sort of $1,200 a month or really $258,000. Uh, the hard cost in the future I've worked out to be approximately $280,000. So if you did nothing, it cost you two hundred eighty. dollars uh, whereas if you parked in your home loan, it's going to cost you two hundred fifty-eight. dollars So about a $22,000 savings there, and the $22,000 savings is really the interest that you've saved by making those extra repayments over that time. Um, so that's a, a really conservative, low-risk way of kind of a bit of a full savings, if you like, uh, to, to use your home loan as a sort of savings account, future educational savings account. Okay, so the second strategy is to invest in the share market. And so that would work similarly to how the home loan strategy works, but you would take a certain amount each month and contribute that into the, into the share market. Now, um, obviously the first thing that jumps to people's minds is, okay, yeah, but which shares do I pick? Um, and depending on that decision will determine what your returns will be. Well, don't worry about it. You don't need to pick shares. In fact, Vanguard, which is a, a not-for-profit uh, index fund provider, the largest inde and oldest index fund provider in the world, um, has a diversified index fund that's listed on the ASX, the Australian Stock Exchange. So you can just buy shares in this one stock and it gives you a very diversified uh, um, exposure to Australian markets, international markets, smaller companies, emerging markets and also some bonds. Um, with just one trade. So you buy this one stock and the fees are very low. They're about 0.27%. Uh, so really you're not going to get any lower than that for such a diversified exposure. And to do that, all you'd need to do is have an online share trading account. Comsec or CMC Markets tends to be the lowest cost. And then each month you would then buy shares in these um, Vanguard funds and I've got the link in the show notes uh, of the podcast to which Vanguard funds I would suggest as examples only this, of course this is not a, a financial advice um, and uh, in the long run uh, returns in uh, Australian international equity markets have been since 1980 have been sort of circa 10% 
right? So over the last nearly 40 years, it's delivered about sort of 10% returns. So I think you could probably realistically expect the same in the next 40 years. Um, but being conservative, I've gone with 8%. So I've assumed that if you put in 8%, and then I worked out, well, how much would you need to put in in order to fund those educational costs, holding everything the same, using the same assumptions as I used in the home loan strategy. And instead of in the home loan strategy, we put $1,200 a month into the home loan, well, the share strategy, you'd have to put $1,210 a month. So slightly more than the home loan strategy, but obviously I've used an 8% overall return, 4% income, 4% growth. If you're able to achieve or if the market delivered a higher return than that, well, obviously um, you're not necessarily going to put that need to put that much money in. But they're, they're, interestingly, they're both very so similar in terms of the cash flow cost. Of, of the strategy. The third strategy would include going out and buying an, an investment property. And you'd buy that today. Uh, and then what you would do in 12 years time when your child uh, started secondary school, you would borrow against the equity of that investment property. You'd obviously need to have the borrowing capacity to do that at that particular time. Uh, you borrow against the equity of that and then you would tr gradually draw down that equity to pay for the school fees. So that is you would borrow to pay for the school fees. Um, at the end of school, so when the when your son finished, or son, daughter, finished um, uh, their schooling, so year 12, I worked out that your loan, including the compounding interest in respect to that loan, would be worth about $450,000. But uh, you would have net equity after all selling costs, capital gains tax, repaying the original loan to purchase the property, you would have uh, net cash equity of $900,000. So in fact, you would end up with $450,000 in your pocket after this strategy, strategy was implemented. Um, and in terms of the uh, cash flow cost, the cash flow cost of holding that property for the next uh, 18 years is $210,000, uh, which is uh, less than the first uh uh, strategies. The first strategies were about two fifty to two hundred and sixty thousand dollars of cash flow. The investment property is two ten, and more importantly, you end up with four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in your pocket at the end of the day. So certainly, the investment property strategy is a better strategy. Um, of course, it's high risk though, because it's high risk because you're borrowing to invest, and whenever you borrow to invest, you magnify the returns, uh, be them be that positive or negative. Um, I've included the assumptions. I've been quite conservative with the capital growth assumptions in my numbers. I've only assumed 6% capital growth, very, which, which is really conservative. I would expect if you're investing in investment-grade property, you would get more than that. I've assumed a 3% gross rental yield. I've assumed mortgage interest rates at 6%, so obviously a lot higher than what they are today. And I base that on a $750,000 investment purchase. Anyway, I have all this information in the show notes and the blog on our website. Um, but I guess what um, what this all shows, uh, well, firstly, before I get to the summary, um, why does the property one work better? Well, it's not because property is better than all the other um, strategies, but there's three reasons properties come out well on top. The first one is, in my numbers, I've assumed the highest return for property. So, um, really, in the home loan strategy, the return is, say, 5%, which is what I've assumed to be the long-term 
uh, home loan interest rate. Again, just to be a bit conservative, it could be more than that over the next 18 years, but I've just been conservative. In the share strategy, I assumed 8%, so that's a lot higher than the home loan strategy, 8% return. And in the property strategy, I assume 9% being 6% growth, 3% income. Um, so really, uh, you could say, well, Stuart, that's a bit unfair because you've assumed a high return for property. Well, the only reason I've done that is the volatility rate in property is about half that of shares. So I've tried to accommodate that risk of volatility um, in the differential uh, return rates, rates of return. Now, the second reason property works best is because it provides most of its return in capital growth rather than income, and that's more tax effective. Uh, and I've, there's a podcast on a separate podcast on that issue. And, and lastly, um, the, the property strategy works out better because we have borrowings, as I've suggested. So it's important to understand what's driving these results because I, I, it's important to understand that I'm not saying that everyone should go and invest in property. I'm merely just saying, well, this is what a strategy would look like and these are the potential outcomes. Uh, so naturally, if you uh, have young children, you're probably, and you're, you're certainly, if you're certainly contemplating sending them to private schools, um, then naturally you need to start thinking about which strategy is going to be appropriate for you. And obviously that's going to be, and it could be one of the three strategies that I've talked about or it could be something different. Um, but it's going to depend on you know the age of your children, how far away you are from those costs, your expected income, asset, your current asset base, your risk profile, any future changes. You know, there's a, what your what your existing investment strategy is. All these sorts of things come into play when formulating what a long term strategy looks like. But I guess the key thing to remember is that, uh, or, or the key purpose of this blog is, firstly, um, to be to understand there are strategies available and secondly the sooner you implement those strategies the the better off you are you know if you're leaving it to the last minute or leaving it too late uh, it's going to put pressure on the strategy you know in terms of working and pressure on your cash flow uh, also these examples that i've used are, are really funding uh, edu uh, secondary school education costs but if you plan to send your kids to primary and secondary school um, and there's associated costs, so it's a, they're both pub, uh, private, sorry, well, it's even more important for you to develop a strategy. So there you go. Um, the best time to start planning for uh, children education costs was yesterday or 10 years ago, but the second best time is really today. So um, if, uh, if, you, if this applies to you, then I would uh, strongly encourage you to have a read of the blog on our website and then reach out if you need any help. Okay, that's it for this week. Bye for now.